0: today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. In the months since COVID-19 first arrived here in Michigan and turned our worlds upside down, many of the recreational activities that we used to participate in are just no longer safe or even legal options. And that's left us looking for other pandemic-friendly things to do. And for many of us, that means going to parks. If you've gone for a walk at Belle Isle lately or some of the other spots here in Detroit, I don't need to tell you that attendance is up, way up. And the same is also true for almost every other park in and around Detroit. That's where we want to begin the hour today. Looking at the role of our parks in our new pandemic reality and what they provide for us and our communities, but also how we stay safe as we get back out into the world. Here to talk about this are two people who are pretty deeply involved in this work at the local level in the city of Detroit. Brad Dick is the director of the General Services Department for the city of Detroit. Brad, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate this.
0: And Nigel Elliot is chief parks planner for the city of Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today as well. Thanks so much. Yeah. So uh, let's start with you, Brad. Uh, I, I was out on the Quinder cut yesterday uh, at about 4 p.m. and I was really shocked at how many people are, are out and about and trying to enjoy nice weather and sunshine because... We've been cooped up for so long, and that's a great thing. I saw a lot of people wearing masks. I saw everybody seeming to observe the idea of some sort of social distancing, trying to keep uh, away from each other. But I wonder from you guys' perspective, how you figure to make parks safe for visitors now that we still have to have some observance of the idea of this really deadly disease spreading among us?
1: So well, it's you know it's a tough question. I mean, you know we're working really hard. I mean, obviously contact sports aren't 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 uh, permits, permissible these days, and uh, we are really encouraging uh, people to get out and walk, to take trail walks, to to jog, even get out and have picnics. Um, you know, get out and bike, enjoy the parks as much as possible. But you know we're reminding people to be, you know, careful with any sort of contact sports. Stay six feet apart. Wear a mask. <laughs> And um, and especially avoid any high touch surfaces like you would anywhere else. And um, but you know we're also working on trying to get out a plan this summer, which you know Megan and I can talk about later on about how we can be more creative in our approaches to recreation programming, so people can enjoy the parks um, and be safe, but also do some sporting activities. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 uh it's it's stretching all of us. We have a recreation task force we formed, and we're all trying to think of new ways we can get youth, adults, and seniors out to enjoy themselves.
0: Mm. Uh, was there any thought that you might close parks in the city? <sighs>
1: No, you know the mayor and I discussed that pretty intently, and we didn't we didn't want to close parks. we wanted to send the message that people need to be outside and enjoying the outdoors um I mean, I think it's well known we did go through and remove the basketball hoops in the city, um which was sad for me. I mean, we've worked so hard the last few years to to restore many basketball courts across the cities with the pistons and and also working on it ourselves and um but it's just too much temptation for, you know, young folks to get out there and play. And, um, and we also had to close the, the skate park at Riverside Park again, another place that was attracting um, too many folks that were lacking, you know, social distance skills. But otherwise, that was where our plan was to keep the parks open, you know, and um, encourage people to get out and enjoy themselves. And for the most part, as you said, you saw yesterday in the Quinter people have observed it and, and have been um, heeding the advice of the governor and of the city.
0: Hmm. Uh, Megan, uh, talk about some of the efforts that you guys are employing right now to kind of gear up for Memorial Day and summer, which is right behind it, and, and what I think is going to be a real crush of of people, maybe even heavier than what we're, what we're used to.
2: Right. So we're trying to be um, extremely proactive in that regard. Um, as park professionals, I think that we can come up with a ton of different ideas for Um, how we can be creative about using our parks and still stay at a safe social distance from one another. But ultimately, um, as Brad mentioned, we need to follow the the guidance of the state and of medical professionals. Um, So what we've been working on is developing a process for that, um, whereby anyone that provides programming over the summer months can kind of work with us um, and with a medical professional to vet any of their protocols, procedures, the timelines for how they think, they might unroll specific programs um, and then, you know, kind of feel like they have a safe plan in place um, to, to get that work started. Because we know folks are going to want to be out in, in public space as the weather gets warmer, um, no matter what. So we just want to make sure that we're able to do that safely. Um, there's another component to that, too, that I think is important, though, which is um, around mental health. And all of the, the challenges that everyone has been facing recently um, related to loss and grief anxiety, trauma, um, there's a lot of research that showed even before this pandemic, um, we had a really critical need for mental health supports and social and emotional supports um, within the city. And we wanna make sure that any of the programming we do this summer, we actually pair more proactively with that type of support. Um, so we'd like to kind of think about that that programming strategy as, as a two-part team, of the medical professional that's doing a reactive vetting of our our processes, but then also the mental health professional that is helping us to to meaningfully integrate um, some some um, lessons from the mental health community into any programming that we do. Hmm. So
0: we have a, re- a listener on Twitter who says, "Officials can't do anything." As callous as it sounds. If people want to go out and risk their lives and even the lives of their children, we can't force them to do otherwise. These are people who use, quote, feelings instead of logic. I want to get you two to to react to that. How much control do we have or do you have to try to make sure people are safe and keep other people safe? Brad, I'll start with you.
1: Well, I think our biggest control is just through constant messaging about the dangers of COVID. And I know that a lot of folks think it's they're invincible and that it's not going to hit them or bother them, but I, you know, you know, you and I and Megan were all Detroit residents. I know, and uh, and I was talking to someone the other day, and almost every Detroit resident I talk to, everybody knows at least four to five people who died. I do, and I'm sure you do too, Stephen. Yeah, and um, and one was a close friend of mine, and one was a, my aunt died also, and we've all been affected in this in some way, and um, and I think that we, you know, that's the that is messaging has to keep getting reinforced with people that we know people who are dying people who are sick and um, so that's the strongest message there I think that the governor and the mayor with their constant messaging every day um, the health professionals you know um, in our region saying that you, you have to do things based on science and based on knowledge and based on facts we have to keep emphasizing that um, I think Detroiters are best at patrolling themselves you know and um, and I think the, the, every everybody has an auntie or that grandma or that uncle who's gonna reinforce with uh, with folks that they gotta be safe and be smart. And with that fails through, um the police are paying special attention to the parks this year. You know, the, the governor's up to fines and such for for, um, for not obeying the, the social distancing role and um our park patrol is out and active um in, in the parks and um they're doing the best they can to persuade people to stay apart. Yeah. And um, I think, unfortunately, I think it has to come, may have to come to that in part. But I think hopefully it starts at home and in our social circles of people reinforcing to, to, to be safe and, 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 and wear a mask, wash your hands, and stay away from people. Yeah.
0: Uh, Megan, I wonder if there are physical things that we might change about city parks to make this easier or to make it clearer that uh, people should go out and en- enjoy the outdoors and, and enjoy the public space that we have, but also be safe?
2: Uh, so we've looked at that, um, you know, immediately when when the executive order was released um, on kind of what are the physical things that we can put in place. Um, uh, maybe barriers in some parking lots, removing specific key pieces of equipment, um, like our basketball hoops. Um, we explored a bunch of different signage, um, and those signs, you know, were kind of changing at a rapid clip as we learned more and more um, from the medical community. Um, and and you know, I know that some folks have have used things like caution tape um, to to block off um, high touch point surfaces like like um, tapes. But I think that ultimately, um, to Brad's point, the communication is a really critical component because even with all of that in place, and a lot of those things, you know, signs are flimsy, the caution tape gets pulled down easily. Um, unless people are, are kind of, unless we're starting with those behavioral actions up front, um, we can't make as, bi- as big of an impact with the kind of physical space. Mm.
0: Uh, We're talking about the great outdoors that we have here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan and how eager we all are to go engage with those public outdoor spaces because we've been cooped up for a couple of months because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But how do we do that in a way that keeps ourselves safe and also keeps other people safe if you've been out in our parks uh, over the last couple of days i know you have noticed how many other people are out trying to enjoy uh, the space that we have and and really doing it in a really celebratory way i think because we've been locked indoors for so long uh, how do you go to the parks and keep your family safe how do you go to the parks and make sure that other people there are safe If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you're doing. Do you feel safe going to the parks? What are you doing to feel safe? Are you wearing a mask when you're out? Uh, Are you seeing others wearing masks? Are you distancing when you're on places like uh, the Dequinder Cut or on Belle Isle, where there were lots and lots of people uh, over the weekend? Uh, Also, give us a call and tell us what the parks look like in your neighborhoods. That's one of the great things. That's true for us here in the city of Detroit and Southeast Michigan is that many of us, or most of us, I would say, have a local park that we try to enjoy. What are you seeing in those parks in terms of distancing and mask wearing and all of the things that we're supposed to be doing? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 577 one oh one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start with Tim in Detroit. Tim, welcome to the program.
3: Yes. Uh, how how can we assure that they won't continue with selective enforcement uh, of the parks? Uh, you know, black folks are
1: treated differently. Some cases, they're they murdered. Uh, by law enforcement where if it was a white person they'd get a warning. How can we assure that won't happen Yeah. with this stuff? Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, great question. Uh, we know that uh, we live in a society where things are not equal. Uh, Brad Dick and yeah. Megan Elliott, how do we make sure that people are treated fairly?
1: I think, you know, it starts within the police department. I think that one of the things we have in Detroit uh, is that we have an African American police chief who is Highly respected, who is a Detroiter himself, who grew up here, moved away, came back. Um, He has family here in the city. In fact, his brother also works for the city, too. And um, I think that's really important. Um, I think the police department is working very hard to strive that the police force has high representation of African-Americans in the police force, so that when they're out, that you're seeing people in police cars that look like you. And um, I know that's something they're working hard to do, uh, and a lot of it's around sensitivity training. I think we've done a lot here in Detroit to to do all we can to ensure that um, the police and the community are working well together. Um, the chief did start um, the community-based um, police officer uh, plan, where most neighborhoods have their MPO, the neighborhood police officer. Um, often when I go to community meetings, one of the first questions the mayor asks of the room, he'll say, how many folks in here know your, your neighborhood police officer? And, and most hands go up, if people know them. And I think that's important. And I think a lot of it starts with community-based policing so that uh, folks know their officers and that the officers know the folks, more importantly. And uh, I think we've done a lot for that. I'm sure it's not perfect. It has a ways to go. But I think that's something that we in Detroit are really trying hard to do. And I give a lot of credit to Chief Craig for what he's done. Mm. Megan?
2: Yeah, I think that um, Brad hit on all the points that I wanted to talk about as well, and then just kind of consistent communication um, and constant communication with the the police department so that we're all on the same page in terms of um, what is safe and what is not safe in the parks. Ultimately, um, the police department will be using their best judgment. Um, I think that this is also, you know, the Tim, your call um, relates to kind of comfort levels of people wearing masks in public and, and how that's different across um, race. And I feel like uh, we and our health department has done a lot to communicate the safe wearing of masks and um, and again, working with those NPO's um, to to make sure that there is um, a good relationship there. Mm. Uh,
0: again, Tim, thanks for the call and for raising that that issue. Kathleen in Indian Village, you're up next. It's on your mind. Yeah.
3: Hello. Hi. Um, thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um,
3: I live in Indian Village, and there's three walkable parks from where I'm at. One is right in Indian Village in our north end, Malacone Park. Um, and mm-hmm. then there's also Irma Henderson Park, which mm-hmm. is right next to the village um, and goes on the riverfront, and Gabriel Richard Park, which is right by the Belle Isle Bridge. Mm-hmm. And they've all had um, new landscaping done in the last couple years, and they're beautiful. And um, I've been enjoying the daffodils in them. <laughs> I'm part of um, a committee, Daffodils for De- for Detroit, in mm-hmm. the numeral four. Okay, and um, our goal is to plant four million daffodils in the city of Detroit and surrounding areas. And we're up to two million.
0: I was going to say um, I have I have noticed them all over all over the city. Uh, this I'm.
1: Um, Glad you both have noticed them. It was a, <laughs> an idea we had out of our department, and it's something we're very proud about. And it's, I, I, I'm constantly amazed at the number of text messages, calls, emails, Facebook tags that we get from people. I'm um, thrilled, especially this year. I think with it being Kind of such a difficult year for people um um and um folks just saying how see the daffodils bloom at a time when people were most depressed really made them feel better and um it's kind of funny little things like that what it does to help people, but the city's planted eight hundred thousand daffodils we um um with budget cuts I'm having I'm putting in a little bit of a hold this fall, but i'm gonna we're gonna go out and try to fundraise for it and to see if we can get more money to plant another 200000 this fall. Mm-hmm. And as far as the park renovations, I'm, I'm glad you've noticed that. And I don't want folks listening to think it was just Indian Village that got park renovations, but in the last five years since bankruptcy, we've renovated 148 parks in the city. We have 294 parks. We've renovated 148 parks, either totally or made serious improvements. Um, including the boulder project, which is pretty popular with a lot of people, which have done the old ratty fences and that were looking bad at dilapidated and put boulders up around most parks to keep people from driving on the grass and such like that. And then this summer, um, Meg and I were talking before the interview, we counted up we have 59 more projects this summer going on in parks. So those start next week. A lot of our construction companies are coming back to work and we'll be doing that. And from a park maintenance standpoint, um, the mayor and I talked. He did not want the park budget to be cut as far as the grass cutting and trash collection goes. So we are starting a little bit late this year because of the shelter at home order. But um, by the, by next week, we will have we go to full capacity, and the parks will be cut like they were last year at a seven to ten day rotation. And um, and so people shouldn't see a lot of overall. Um, difference from last year to this year. So I'm glad folks have noticed the daffodils and noticed the renovations. And I agree with you. Uh, Irma Henderson Park, I think, is looking absolutely beautiful.
0: Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about outdoors and how we re-engage with the outdoors now that uh, we are loosening restrictions because of COVID-19. We want to continue to hear from you as well, John on the east side, Brian in Detroit, Aaron in Jefferson, Chalmers We'll get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
4: News, music, culture, and community every day
2: on 101.9 WDET.
1: Detroit's NPR station.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guests are Brad Dick, who is the Director of the General Services Department for the City of Detroit. Also with us is Megan Elliott. She's the Chief Parks Planner for the City of Detroit. We're talking about how we re-engage with the outdoors, all the great parks that we have here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan, now that we don't all have to stay in the house All day. If you've been out at all over the last couple of days or weeks, you certainly have noticed the number of people who are eager to get outside and eager to enjoy what little sunshine we have and maybe warmer temperatures that are around the corner. But of course, the question is how we do that and continue to stay safe? How do we continue to make sure that the coronavirus is not spreading as virulently as it has among? Uh, the people that we count as our friends and neighbors and fellow city dwellers. Uh, We want to hear from you about how you're re-engaging with the outdoors right now. Are you going to parks here in the city or in uh, Metro Detroit? And what kinds of things are you doing to make sure that you stay safe, but also that you keep everybody else there safe? Are you wearing masks? Are you distancing as much as you can from other people? when you uh, see them in parks. Also, give us a call and tell us how safe you feel when you're out and about right now. Uh, Do you think we ought to be doing more things to try to keep people from spreading the disease? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome to Detroit. Hey, doing? how are you?
3: All right. I work every day. I'm out on the road driving around because I do service work. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people out. I see a lot more traffic now. And it makes me kind of sad. All, all the people who sacrificed their lives, not really sacrifice, but who died because of this virus. And then you see people taking this old cavalier, cavalier all over the place, just piling into groups of people. I've seen like 20 kids on bicycles just in a pile they weren't they weren't separated they were just together just you know within inches of each other and it just kind of makes me sad that people aren't taking it serious anymore enough to uh you know stay home or just stay away from other people you can ride your bike but you don't have to be six inches from the next guy on another bike you mm. kind
0: of so I'm, so brian do you think we all ought to be staying indoors still and not not being no. out in public
3: I think, yeah. I mean, you look at the, look at all the people in Detroit who's died from this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, you, like you, you were mentioning, Belle Isle. I, I won't even go on Belle Isle. I've driven by the entrance ramp to Belle Isle. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, you know, hundreds of cars is going into Belle Isle. It's really busy. So you can imagine the, the amount of people on Belle Isle.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, uh, but, Brian, you know, yeah. I, I'm 60 years old, so I'm just trying to save my own life and right. go to, I, I got to work every day. So I got to be around people anyway. Mm. So I don't feel a necessity to, uh, you know, pile into a, a group of other <laughs> people a who aren't Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. No,
0: I hear you, Brian. I, I really appreciate the call uh, and the perspective. And I think that, you know, at some level, this is about individual decisions, right? Like uh, how safe do you feel doing things that, are fun or interesting and are or maybe were part of your normal life before all this happened um, and how do you do it and and stay safe so I you know I don't know that there is an answer uh, to that uh, other than that individual that individual choice at this point because they are trying to relax the restrictions a little bit uh, the, the question of course is how much Can we do to make sure that people are safe despite the fact that they are out and uh, about together? And you're right that there are some instances you see around the city right now where people are just too close together, uh, maybe not wearing masks, not doing the kind of things that uh, that they ought to be doing. But, Brian, I appreciate the call uh, and the perspective there. Let's go to Aaron in Jefferson Chalmers. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hello, Stephen. Hey,
1: I realize that the state of Michigan now operates Belle Isle Park, but I was out there on Tuesday and astonished at the amount of garbage around. Is there anything that the city can do to kind of urge the state to place garbage containers there because there are no garbage containers on Belle Isle right now?
0: Hmm. Um, That's a great question, Aaron. Uh, Brad Dick, uh, as Aaron points out, the city is no longer operating Belle Isle, the state is, uh, it, it does still get trashy if there's lots of people out there. Is there anything that can be done from the city's perspective uh, about, about making it cleaner?
1: Um, well, in the way the contract was set up uh, with, with the state, it's uh, we still had to have some say. In fact, um, I'm the, one of the board members that represents the city with there. Um, I'll promise Aaron when I uh, leave the office today, I'm going to take a tour around Belle Isle myself and take a look and see how it, lo- how it looks. Um, and I'll give the, uh, the manager a call, um, talk to him about it. I do know they're um, short-staffed this year. Um, and uh, they haven't fully had everybody return to work yet, um, and that they are trying to rely on people that go to the island that bring trash with them to take the trash away with them. Um, I'm not sure it's always the most practical approach to play, because we, you know, we have 294 parks we deal with in the city, and uh, and even with our best efforts of putting trash cans out, people just don't always adhere to throwing trash in the cans for, for some reason. I don't really get it. Don't know why. I, don't, I think my mother would have smacked me if I would have thrown trash down. But um, but not everybody um, um, has that kind of respect. But I'll take a look when I go out um, when I leave the office today, Aaron. And then I'll give the folks a call and, and uh, see what any kind of what we can do to offer any help. Okay. Mm.
2: Yeah, and I will say too, yeah, um, ahead, that we um, in our regional parks and in a number of parks where we've seen increased um, usage as well as increased trash, that we're we're actually increasing the number of bins um, in each of yeah. those parks as well. So we should see more trash bins um, in in the parks in the coming weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, how about this, folks who are going out and enjoying the parks. Put your trash in the bin. Don't throw it on the ground. Let's help keep the city clean so that we don't have to clean it up. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, one of my little pet peeves about about living here in, in, in Detroit. All right. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome. Thank to the you program. very
4: much. Great conversation. So as somebody that walks to the uh, riverfront parks daily, uh, I've noticed uh, – that I actually started seeing people walking before I saw fishermen this year and uh it's been seen a lot of people uh coming down to the riverfront parks and uh bicycling, baby carriages, it's been amazing. Um and there's been a huge police presence and they, they go right by my my house a lot, uh, going from one park to the next and even yesterday I saw the police down there uh having young people pour their beers out and such, which is very unusual, especially for this time of year so.
0: mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: um I do want to comment on the garbage. Uh, we've also had a lot of, uh, typically with fishermen, you have uh, rubber glove problems anyway, um, but it's been expedited this year with the health crisis and, and face masks. And I I do want to put a shout-out to AB Ford Park. We have five or six garbage cans, and they're all overflowing right now, have been for a week. And we really need more garbage cans along the the riverfront. So I have a suggestion. We have brand-new LED lights down on the riverfront, and we could attach garbage cans right to them so they don't blow down in the wind, which is a a, a huge issue uh, on the river. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And we miss the basketball. It's sad to see those gone. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, we look no. <laughs> we look forward to having them back. We love all the improvements that are coming and thank Yeah,
1: you I I hear you. I feel I feel you on the basketball courts. It's, it's, it was a tough decision, trust me. I I and I I find more joy driving around seeing people use the courts than almost anything in the city that was a, it's a hard decision to make. Maybe and, uh, like I said earlier, we are we have a number of our we normally have about 200 seasonal workers that come in, and um, the the rest of them start again next week. So um, by next week, we've been delayed in starting this year because of COVID, the sheltered home and such. But by next week, we'll be fully staffed. So um, and that should see a lot of reduction and, and a lot more cleaning in all the parks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so give, give us an extra week or so. Okay, <laughs> and thanks for your feedback. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah. All right, John. Thanks very much for the call. Let's go to ed in detroit ed welcome to the program you there ed ed uh ed give us a call back i we can't hear you so uh we'll uh we'll wait for you to to ring us back let's go to ricardo on the west side ricardo welcome to the show good
5: morning uh i just wanted to share two observations uh from my own experience uh, over the past month and a half. Uh, I live by Renaissance High School and they have a beautiful new track and field of course. Now most times it's off limits to the public, but for the first month and a half of the pandemic, they weren't locking the gate. So uh, every day I would go up there run a couple miles and it seems like as the pandemic has gone on, the uh, the amounts of people have increased more and more and more to the point where about two weeks ago, they just totally have locked the gate. You can no longer access the track. Now, those are tall fences at the high school. And even I I rode my bike by yesterday, and people are literally climbing the tall fence (laughs) to access (laughs) the track. (laughs) It's just so asinine to me. And another observation I wanted to share is I'll usually ride my bike from my home to, to Palmer Park and around Palmer Park, and of course, immediately, police were removing basketball rims. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone—I don't know—everyone may or may not know. Palmer Park has beautiful new tennis courts
0: mm-hmm. that
5: are that are locked. So I don't mean to make this necessarily a racial thing, but usually the young black guys are playing basketball, so they don't have access to the basketball hoops anymore. And I've noticed yesterday that. Even with the the tennis court fences being locked, there are gentlemen who are Caucasian who are hopping those fences to continue to play, <laughs> to, go play to play tennis. <laughs> so if the basketball rims are removed, why not remove the tennis the tennis net as well? Because oh, clearly people aren't aren't respecting the locked fences. Yeah. <laughs> Ricardo
0: yeah, that's we'll a here, that's a great question. Uh, it's not something yeah. I would have thought of but uh, but talk about how you first of all, deal with you know use and and restriction of use with parks and schools. I think Ricardo brings up an interesting question about whether school facilities, which often are the kinds of recreation spots for people in in some neighborhoods, uh, is is there some coordination with uh, Detroit Public Schools to try to make things more accessible because we know people need parks a little more? Um, yeah, give us give us the, the the rundown of how you're dealing with that, Brad.
1: Um, well, we're starting uh, this Friday. We have our first recreation task force, which DPS is a part of. We've already had conversation with DPS last week as well, too. Um, trying to figure out how we can all work together to offer, you know, um, programming. You know, a lot, a lot of what the recreation division of GSD did last year, we have after-school programming. Of course, that's all on hold right now. And We're trying to figure out what can we do to fill a void. I mean, a lot of folks are doing online programming, but online programming, there's, a, I think, a fatigue level there at some point, right? People still want to get out and move and exercise. And so we're looking at a variety of things that we can – that we we can do with DPS. So I think we're we're trying to get a report out the next few weeks with recommendations and then also trying to get those recommendations funded. A part of our task force is the philanthropic community here in Detroit. So we need to work with them side by side so we can move quickly. Megan, do you want to add anything else? I know you're sharing that.
2: Yeah, I think that... um... Uh, to to your point that the first phase of kind of how we work with with DPS is in relation to kind of critical care for children as parents return to work and don't have any child care options. So there's a a group that's specifically focused on that piece. In the past, we've worked um, with the school system because we know from a resident perspective, no one either knows or cares whether, you know, a, a park-like setting is, you know, managed by the city or managed by the schools or or some other private entity. So, we've been trying to develop um, some operational agreements to kind of have shared uses of those spaces and and keep them open longer. I think that your comment is really helpful, um, and we should be working to figure out kind of what what is that um, that bright line of of when you know when amenities need to be locked um, in terms of unsafe usage or, or whether they should be just open more freely. Hmm.
0: Uh, and and the question about uh, tennis courts versus basketball courts, uh, yeah. that's a great that's a great comparison, and it's not something I would have thought of. If we are getting rid of hoops, should we get rid of tennis nets too?
1: You know, it's funny. I, I sent a text as Ricardo was speaking to my park development manager because as of last week, the tennis nets, court nets, were not up at Palmer, so um, right. and, <laughs> In fact, we had planned on not putting them back up, so we need to find out what's going on with that. Yeah. But um, you know, uh, tennis. I mean, I agree. No one should be out playing any contact sports right now. But the one thing I feel about—I don't play tennis, but at least with tennis, you usually have two people playing one on one, or even doubles, and people are typically it's
0: good distance, far apart, right. but,
1: yeah, yeah, more right. of a distance. Like the golf. You know, people ask us about well, golf's back open. The city has three courts and. You know, um, we can control it a bit better, you know, um with what who goes out and making sure people are wearing masks and saying distance, and the same with tennis. I feel like it's more of a sport that people stay apart, naturally distant um in fact, one of the things you know, Meg and I were talking about last week is we have a phenomenal program at Palmer Park that's run by the people for palmer park, and there's this lovely lady, Lee King, who runs a great program out there, so shout out to Lee and Lee has. Last I knew, nearly 200 kids in her program that she teaches tennis, mm-hmm. and the kids are Detroit residents mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. well predominantly African-American um, by far, and I think it's a great program, and it's one thing I'd love to see continue this summer is how can, we, how can Lee offer tennis safely? To those kids and get them out there. So, um... so I believe tennis is a little bit different. I think people do tend to be a little socially distant, naturally, in it. But, but it, there's room for improvement. And I get, I, I, I hate the fact we had to take the courts down. But, you know, every case the police came to us and and made the recommendations. I personally went to many spots and looked at myself. And it wasn't just two guys playing or two gals playing. It was 40 and 50 people playing. Mm. You know, and it was. It was just too hard to con- to control, it, so we had to take the courts down, I mean the, the hoops down. So I, I get where Ricardo's coming from, and I, I totally, I totally understand what he's saying. <laughs> so and I hope that we can get I hope we can get those hoops back up. I really do soon.
0: Yeah. Okay, Brad Dick, yeah. Director of General Services for the city. Thanks very much for being here with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. And Megan Elliott, Chief Parks Planner for the city. Uh, it was great to have you here as well.
4: Thank you so much. Kevin.
0: All right, uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with the Detroit native who won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama last week. Michael R. Jackson is going to talk about receiving that honor and his play, A Strange Loop. Stay with us on Detroit Today.